0: Psalm 88. Though my eyes can't see, still God is good. And it's good for us to remember even as we launch into this psalm this evening. Psalm 88 has been called the darkest and the saddest of all psalms. In fact, it ends in darkness, there is no resolution. And we'll work our way through this psalm this evening. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll turn our attention to Psalm 88. Heavenly Father, even as these kids have proclaimed and reminded us this evening, you are good. You are always good. You are only good. Heavenly Father, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we see and what we feel, you are good and we need you. So Heavenly Father, we pray that this evening, even as we work our way through this psalm, that even in the depths of the despair of this psalm, that your name would be lifted high, that we would be encouraged to see a God who is good regardless of our circumstances. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit and darkness in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you have afflicted me with all your waves, Sila. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made an abomination to made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eyes waste, my eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Say Lord. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die for my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your ter- terrors have cut me off. They come around me all the day, all day long like water. They engulf me altogether. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. I think that it is I don't think. I know that God, in His sovereign wisdom in the placement of the Psalms, put Psalm 88 following Psalm 87. Last week we were in Psalm 87 and we saw the, the heights of the joy of Psalm 87 as, as the psalmist and those that He invites to sing with Him are rejoicing in God's coming kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus, is the cry of Psalm 87. Set up your kingdom. The nations will come. Even those who were enemies Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia, Egypt. They will come and they will worship God. It's and it's a glorious scene in Psalm 87. And then you come to Psalm 88. As I mentioned, the saddest of all Psalms. It is a journey into the depths of despair. It starts out with an opening cry from the pit of despair in the first two verses. And then the reason for despair in verses 3 to 7. And then verses 8 to the end is just continued despair. Most laments that you study in scripture, most laments uh, in the Psalms, we've been through many of them, They, they start in the depths. But by the end of the psalm, through, through meditating on God's character, through meditating on the promises that God has, has given to the psalmist, by the end of the psalm, he's, even as his situation has not been resolved, he's, he's somewhat rejoicing. But not so here in Psalm 88. It is unique. It stands alone among the psalms. The first thing you see in the first two verses, this opening cry from the pit of despair, and really, this first line in verse 1, this is the high point of the psalm. It all goes downhill from here. Oh, Lord God of my salvation. Lord God of my salvation. The psalmist starts by identifying his God and asserting his salvation. This confession of who God is and what he has done. And really, this is the only glimmer of hope in this psalm. My God, who has saved me. He uses the word, the the name Yahweh. This is, I am. My God, covenant-keeping God. Throughout the psalm, he uses this name four times. Here in verse 1, uh, verse 9, 13, and 14. And that's the glimmer of hope throughout this psalm. That this God has not changed. He is still a covenant-keeping God. He is still Yahweh. He is still the God of my salvation. And the psalmist knows from this opening line, even as he travels, travels down to the depths of despair, that the God who saved him will not abandon him. And so he clings to that hope. You are God of my salvation. From that point, O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Day and night, continually. In fact, note his persistence. His persistence. Spurgeon says that evil is turned to good when it drives us to prayer. Evil is turned to good when it drives us to prayer. Just the the note of persistence in prayer indicates that the psalmist is at least clinging to hope. Later on in the psalm, in verse 9, Lord, I have called daily upon you. Again, persistence that that follows all the way through the psalm. He's persistent in prayer. He's clinging to that hope of this God of his salvation, the God who will not abandon him. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Pleading for God, hear me. Take note of my prayer. See my situation, Lord. So far, this language is familiar to us in the Psalms. David often cries, Lord, incline yourself to me. Incline your ears to me. Let my prayer come before you. The first three goes on. For my soul is full of troubles. It is full of troubles. The language is is that of overwhelmed, completely overcome. It is full. My life draws near to the grave. I am so overwhelmed that I I am getting to the point of death. I am nearing death. Overwhelmed to the point of death. In fact, I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am so far gone, it's as if I am already dead. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead purposeless, powerless, hopeless, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, not only dead to men, but I feel even dead to God. You know that line, line, hopefully you've never used it yourself, but in a movie or a show or something where someone says, you are dead to me. It's as if you are not even living. I want nothing to do with you. That's how the psalmist feels. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. It's as if I am dead to God himself. He has turned his back on me. Many commentators from these first few verses, and then continuing in several other verses, there there seems to be an indication in this psalm that there's there's something more than just an immediate situation going on. verse 8, you have put away my acquaintances far from me. You've made me an abomination to them. There's something that has cut him off from his friends and family. Verse 15, I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. So whatever this is that has gotten the psalmist to this point, the psalmist Herman, the Ezraite, as we see at the beginning there, whatever it is that has gotten him to this point, it is something that has been with him from his youth. It is something likely physical that that physically separates people from him. And so many have thought that maybe this is the, the psalm of a man who is suffering from leprosy. I mean, just put yourself in that situation. I think that's very plausible as you read the psalm. We can't say for sure. But put yourself back in that day. Remember that, imagine that you had leprosy. From my youth, he says in verse 15. So imagine as a kid or as a young teen, one day signs start to show up. And your parents take you to the priest, hoping and praying the whole way that, that this is not the case because they know what this means. And imagine the priest looking over him and confirming it is leprosy. Imagine the pain of his parents as he separated from them, pushed to the outskirts of the town to live among the dead. Imagine the fear overtaking his own heart as a young man, as a youth, separated from his family and friends and everything that he loves and all the, the hope that he's looked forward to in life. No hope of a family. No hope of a wife or of kids. His whole life is now confined to this community on the outskirts of town separated from everything to live as if he's already dead. Think of the hopelessness of day in and day out. You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. Begging for food, living in poverty. On the doorstep of death. I think it's very possible that this psalmist is struggling from leprosy. That helps to put the whole psalm into context and to make a little bit more sense out of it. I mean, he is so desperately dark, so full of despair. And yet, I think the psalmist doesn't, or I know actually, actually, it doesn't in here per- specifically say that that's the issue. And even if that is the issue that this psalmist is dealing with, I think that's because there's lots of issues with that. This, this feeling is not only stuck to that. This feeling of darkness and despair and loneliness counted with those who are, who are dead. God himself seems to have turned his and You have you're cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit. You remember this is a prayer. The psalmist recognizes the sovereignty of God. This is God's doing. God has done this. This is not an accident. You have laid me in the lowest pit in the darkness of in the darkness and the depths. But what is phenomenal? What is phenomenal is that at no point in this psalm does the psalmist blame God or get angry at God. There's a recognition that God has done this. There's a question, why, God, have you done this? God, will you hear my prayer? Will you answer my prayer? Will you deliver me? But at no point does he turn or accuse God. You have done this. You have laid me in the lowest pit in darkness and in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your ways. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Perhaps, whatever this is, perhaps it is because of sin. Feels the psalmist feels the weight of the wrath of God. Some commentators say, well, we, we can't say for sure whether it is sin or not, but these are at least the questions that are running through his mind. Is this because of sin? Is God's wrath upon me? That could be the case. Given the context of verse 15, I've been afflicted and ragged to die for my youth. This is something that has stuck around for a while, going all the way back for his youth. It seems unlikely that in his youth he did something bad enough that has caused all this. It's possible. It could be because of sin. It could just be the questions that come up in our minds. Is this because of sin? Have I done something? Like the accusation that Job's friends bring against him. But either way, the psalmist feels that he feels this weight on him. You've afflicted me with all your waves. If you've ever been to the ocean and you kind of wait out a little bit and, and you're playing, and, and before you know it, these waves start coming in. And if you're not paying attention, one hits you and, and you get tumbled around. You come up for a death, and then another one hits you. And you, you're tumbling in, you come up for another breath, and another one hits you. That's the idea of the psalmist here. Wave after wave is just hitting me. Coming, and coming, and coming, and, and he's overwhelmed. And, and, and there's that Selah, perfectly timed, as he is struggling for breath, and then a pause. But he's not done. The waves keep coming. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. He is alone, abandoned by friends and family for whatever reason. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, Yahweh, I have called daily upon you again. Persistence. W. Graham Scroggie, another commentator, says, No one who really despairs will pray, for prayer is proof of lingering hope. There's lingering hope here. He is still praying. He is still clinging to the God of his salvation. He keeps calling. Even though he feels that weight. Even though he feels as if God has has turned from him. And yet he keeps calling because God is the God of my salvation. I've stretched out my, my hands to you. Again, note, he recognizes that this is God's doing yet he doesn't blame God. He doesn't flee from him. In fact, he desires God. (laughs) He desires the one who has done this to him, the one who he recognizes, this is your doing. And yet, I want your attention. I want you, God. Hear my prayer and turn to me. You are my only hope. I've stretched out my hands to you. Verse 10 to, 11, 10 to 14 of this dark psalm, or probably the darkest point. The psalmist is struggling through life. Life hurts. It makes no sense to him. And yet he doesn't want to die. He doesn't see any relief in death. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Say Allah. Then he goes on to meditate on this. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? In your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Again, some commentators here say, well, that as an an Old Testament saint, this psalmist didn't know of resurrection. He doesn't have that hope to cling to. But we know that Job did. I know that my Redeemer lives. Job clung to that in the midst of his affliction. So I don't know that that is a good answer here. I think likely this is just the thoughts of a man who is struggling. It's not that he doesn't believe there's hope. I mean, he just, he he doesn't want to die. It's not that he doesn't believe there's not hope. It's just, he's in the depths of despair and he is struggling. God, what are you doing? And yet he keeps crying. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, Yahweh, covenant-keeping God. In the morning my prayer comes before you. He feels as if God is not listening, as if God has turned his head away from him, and yet I will keep crying. Every morning I will get up and I will cry to the Lord. I will take my prayer and I will keep praying day in and day out. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I've been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They come around me all day long like water. They engulf me all together. Again, this language of drowning. I am overwhelmed. I am drowning. I am struggling. I am lost. Again, this language of abandonment. Loved one and friend, have, you have put far from me my acquaintance into darkness. Another way to phrase that last line is, my only friend is darkness. I'm left with nothing. There's a famous song by Simon and Garfunkel called The Sound of Silence. And the opening line of that song is, hello darkness, my old friend. It's a well-known line. It's a famous line. Because it's such a striking line at the beginning of the song. It is so ominous and so hopeless. And that's where the psalmist ends. My only friend is darkness. Darkness is the last word of this psalm. That's where he ends with no resolution and no seeming more hope than he had at the beginning of this psalm. He said at the beginning, most laments end in hope. They end in a promise of deliverance, a meditation on the character of God, or or something that gives the psalmist hope. But not this one. Again, W. Graham Scroggie says this, There's only one psalm like this in the Bible to intimate the rareness of the experience. But there is one psalm to assure the most desperately afflicted that God will not forsake them. This psalm serves a purpose. It is dark and it is desperate. But all scripture is profitable. And the hope of this psalm is the existence of this psalm, the fact that it's here it reminds the heart of the deeply depressed soul that they are not alone. They are not the only one to walk this road. In fact, the meditations of the psalmist who's walked this road are saved for us here in Scripture. Scripture. Sometimes it can feel fake when we are struggling and we try to force joy or praise. Sometimes even that can be a vain repetition. Sometimes even that can be taking God's name in vain and we don't mean it, but we're just saying it because we think we should. Sometimes it is enough to simply wait on God To keep praying, for sure. Keep praying. But just wait. Just wait on God, and and words of praise will come. When you cannot bring your soul to rejoice, pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart. Be honest. most hopeless of circumstances, in the darkness of night, when your mind is wandering, when you are overcome with despair, pour out your heart to God. The silver lining throughout this entire psalm goes back to that first line, the name that he uses of God, Lord God of my salvation. Covenant-keeping God, the one who will not abandon me. The God who has made promises and will keep promises. The motto of South Carolina is the phrase, While I breathe, I hope. While I breathe, I hope. It's meant to be encouraging, but really it's kind of hopeless. What happens when I stop breathing? The testimony of this psalm is, while God lives, I hope. While God lives. Life might not make any sense. My circumstances might make any sense. Life may be torture itself, and yet while my God lives, the God of my salvation, my covenant-keeping God, while He lives, I will hope and I will pour out my heart in prayer to him. And brothers and sisters, your God is eternal. And so your hope is eternal. And so, Psalm 88, the saddest of all the Psalms, even here there's a glimmer of hope. An everlasting, covenant-keeping God of salvation. I hope that you know him this evening, I hope that you know that hope. And if not, I would love nothing more than to take the word of God and to answer any questions that you may have to point you to Jesus Christ. Because the psalmist's fear of death in that psalm, those are the fears of a man who doesn't know God. That is his greatest fear in those moments when when he is overcome. But those who do know God. For those who do know God. We rejoice. Because our hope is eternal. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So hopefully. Even the difficulty of that psalm. Hopefully there's some hope for you. Even as the kids sang at the beginning. Though my eyes can't see. Still, my heart believes that you are always only good. Prayer request.